Welcome to another inspirational message from London Life Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. So my friends, uh, for today's um, sermon, I was thinking what should be the best thing to share with you. And there is something that, I don't know, constantly it comes back to me. When I'm thinking about this topic, when I'm reading things and all of that, and as you could probably see the title, the title is The Real Life. And I, th- I know that we are always trying to figure out what life actually is, whatever it is. Uh, you might have a big family or small family or no family. You're trying to figure out life around that. You might be working. You might not be working. You're trying to figure out life around that. You might be a spiritual religious person. You might not be a religious person. And you're trying to figure out what's out there, what's inside of you, stuff like that. We are all trying to figure out what life is. So what I'm going to share with you today is actually a perspective that has helped me to shape something that is deeply important for me. And as Paolo has mentioned, through all the well, work and life experiences that I had, especially over the last well, 15, 16 years, this is something that constantly is coming back and I'm trying to revisit where I'm at, so to say. So I'm hoping that this is going to be a blessing for you. I'm going to start with sharing the story about my niece, Mariana. Uh, basically, when she was just about a year old, uh, her mom, my sister, she would go to work with my dad, our father, who is a tailor. So that was very good for her because she could work part-time, be very flexible, uh, and especially because she had a little child, that was uh, another benefit. So there was always one babysitter that would come and uh, be with Mariana while my sister is at work, and that would be the grandma. Now, what happened is that the grandma would usually come somewhere in the morning, uh, then they would have the switch, my sister would go to work, grandma would stay with Mariana, and that would basically be the routine. Now, after a few days, what happened is that Mariana figured out what's going on. So, whenever there is someone knocking at the door, and that turns out to be grandma in the morning, Mariana starts to cry immediately, because she knows what's going to happen. That means that mommy is going to go away and she's not going to see her for quite some time. So this pattern was repeating basically whenever uh, that that took place. Now what's funny is that there was a wedding. So one weekend there was a wedding and they as a family, they went for the wedding. So they had fun and I mean, as a small child at, at that time, probably maybe a year and a half old, I mean, I don't know what kind of fun can you have at a wedding, but she was trying to play a little bit how much she could with, with other kids. And then at one point, the grandma comes to the wedding and she comes to Mariana and she's all happy to see Mariana and she starts smiling and saying, Mariana, come to granny. And even though it's a wedding, a completely different setting, Mariana starts crying, completely losing herself. Why? And of course, my sister, she started laughing in a way, comforting her because she knew what happened. Mariana developed this pattern that when granny comes, mommy is going to go away and that makes Mariana sad. Now, why is this important? Even though it's, it's a cute story, so to say, that I still like to remind her of because she's now a teenager and, of course, every teenager likes to be reminded of what they were doing when they were kids. It's a great reminder of how we can develop certain perspective. Because we had certain experience, we think that this is a reality. So for her, that was that grandma is a bad thing that causes her to cry. What we very often do in our life is that based on certain experiences that we have, 
Is it experience with other people? Is it maybe going to, you know, doing certain type of work or whatever it might be? We have certain experience and then we say, well, this is bad or good. And very often we are fixed on that. We don't change a lot of things when it comes to that. And in our life, in this real life, these are certain challenges that we have to go through so that we can have better perspective on life. So our perception of what's real, what's important, what's worthy of our time and effort can be sometimes very tricky thing. Because we take something to be true in a certain moment based on certain experiences, we tend to believe that that's true forever. Now, there is a reason why I chose this topic. Uh, I don't know if you like C.S. Lewis. I personally love to read his books. And one of the books that I'm very often going back to is Screwtape Letters. It is a fiction. If you haven't read that, I would strongly encourage you to, to read it at least a little bit. And if you have read it, you know that it's a great piece of writing. So in that, he is basically writing about two demons, uh, mostly. Uh, an un uncle, uh, Screwtape, he is like a senior management demon, so to say. And he is training his cousin, his uh, junior demon, so to say, how to take people away from God. And you have some funny maybe aspects of the story, but very often you have very deep, very serious uh, ideas that you can find there. So this is one of them that I honestly love when it comes to this idea of the real life. So the key point comes when um, Screwtape says to Wormwood, his cousin, that he needs to fix his patient, which is basically patients are us as people. Uh, he needs to fix his patient's mind away from what he calls universal issues to the stream of immediate, immediate sense experiences. And this is the quote. Now, this is the full paragraph. Your business is to fix his attention on the stream. I'll explain the stream. Teach him to call it the real life. And don't let him ask what he means by real. Thanks to processes which we set at work in them centuries ago, they find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar while the familiar is before their eyes. Keep pressing home on him the ordinariness of things. Now, the stream that he is talking about here is basically this idea that you have this you know, life that you need to live. You, need, you have work that you need to go to. You have family that you need to provide for. You know, things like that. You need to go to the toilet. You need to eat. Stuff like that. And basically, he is saying whenever a person is trying to think about other things in life, deeper things in life, fix their mind on these everyday things that are important but raise it on a higher level. And he's given an example uh, saying that there was a man, his patient, uh, Screwtape says that, uh, that went to the British Museum. So for all of you who may be in London, something very interesting. And that man was reading a book. And his mind went, went for these universal, deeper things in life. And then Screwtape was afraid in a, in a way because he saw that his years that he was investing in this man, they're going to disappear because he's now moving to what he calls the animist territory. He's thinking about deeper issues in life. So he says, I was experienced enough to do this. I'm not going to present him different arguments from what he is reading in that book. Rather, I'm going to do the following. So... When he reads that, I'm going to give him an idea that now it's a good time to actually have a snack. 
And then while he does that, I'm going to give him an idea that maybe now it's a good time to go out for the fresh air. And then when he is out there, I'm going to send this boy that sells newspapers. He's going to see what's new, what's new over there. He's going to see the bus coming that is going to basically take him home. And he's going to start thinking about all other things. And luckily, the day ended well. So what he is actually trying to teach his junior demon is that whenever we are trying to think about God, spiritual things, important things in life, more than just how to survive the day, the best thing how he can trick us is to get us back, fix it, fixated on the ordinary things, so to say. Now, I have to say something here. When I'm reading that, I'm just thinking, well, does that mean that ordinary things are bad for us? I mean... Should we stop eating or going to work or should we, you know, leave our family to, you know, sort out things for themselves or whatever else? Of course not. But the idea that you're going to see here is what is the scheme, what are the strategies that sometimes the enemy is using against us so that the things that are normal and good, they're actually taking away what is even more important for us. So basically, C.S. Lewis here is describing this kind of a background that exists. There is something that we see in life, and there is something that we don't see in life. And very often, things that we see that are tangible, material, they are much more important for us than what, rather what is unseen, spiritual, even emotional, and all of that. So this idea in his book is actually based on something that Apostle Paul is saying. And this is what we read in Ephesians. I believe that that text is very uh, famous and popular that you read it quite a few times. But there are a few points that when I read that text, I really want to share that with you. They just take my breath away on the perspective that Paul is presenting there. So this is what Paul is saying just to read that uh, verse 12. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. A few very important things here. But first of all, there is something that we need to decide when we are reading this text. And you have two options, basically. You can either say, well, Paul, you're a very good writer, and maybe... Just maybe you've seen a lot of Star Wars movies or something like that. So this sounds more like a sci-fi. The powers of darkness, you know, things in the background. It's almost like Darth Vader and stuff like that. So you can either say, well, this is just science fiction. This is not real. Or on the other hand, you can say, well, even though it sounds a little bit scary and dark, this is reality. So either this is true or not. Now, I would say if we believe, and I'm especially talking to you if you're reading the Bible and you're believing uh, Christians, so to say, this is, this is something that is very clear for us. If you're still exploring that, there is something always in the background that we have to ask ourselves, is this life that we see, only the material things, is that truly the only thing that is out there? Just briefly, because Paolo mentioned uh, that I'm also, uh, I just finished training as a teacher for religious education here in the UK. So I had uh, experience being in secondary schools uh, for, for some time, over 10 months. Now, if you've been in a secondary school here in the UK, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you've just been a student or whatever else, you know it's a fun, fun place to be. Um, 
especially if you know they're not throwing peaches out of the windows and all of that. I'm not saying that that happened in this school, but these are the stories that I heard. So this was a very nice school, and uh, we had some amazing conversations, amazing discussion. Because when you're actually going through religious uh, studies uh, curriculum, you have deep topics with these young teenagers that love to actually share their opinions. So we came to this topic about afterlife. And most of them, when we started having conversation at the beginning, were like, well, I don't care about that pretty much because, you know, this life is important. I need to live this life. But then as we were talking about these things, they realized that, well, it depends. It, it depends what you believe if there is something, you know, later or not when you die. Um, because that is going to direct your life now. So we talked about Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, all of that. And they realized actually, well, you know, in a way, yeah, they're not maybe going to believe in any of those religions, but that makes sense that there is maybe something out there in some kind of an afterlife that is directing this life here. And then we had conversation about what some people call evidence for afterlife, something like you're probably familiar with near-death experience, um, deja vu even, um, some people are claiming that they have memories of past lives, so something like, re like reincarnation. And what was very important and interesting uh, stories about ghosts. So a bunch of these teenagers that basically said, we don't believe in these things, you know, and this life is only important. When we started talking about this, you would be surprised how many of them actually said that someone in their family or even them, they think that they've seen a ghost or something like that. And then the conversation changes. Now, why am I saying this? Because when Paul writes about these things, that there are certain powers in the background, there are a lot of people who maybe don't share the, these Christian beliefs, but they do think that there is something out there, something beyond this reality. And this is actually what Paul is saying. This life is not the only thing what you can see. There is something beyond that. Now, if that is true, what is the implication of that? That means that there are certain things that we can't run away from. So, for example, we can't run away from the, the, the point that we need to go to work, we need to earn money, we need to feed ourselves, our families, and so on, right? But in doing all of that, the question is, this is this material, tangible, visible reality. What about the invisible reality that we are just talking about now, based on what Paul and C.S. Lewis are actually uh, writing? So the idea is, how do you mix these two realities? Because very often we are saying, well, I don't have time to, I don't know, go and pray for an hour or read the Bible for an hour or do whatever else of that. And I would suggest to you today that this kind of a perspective that we have is wrong. Because very often we are disconnecting the spiritual, invisible and visible material, uh, material reality in a way that we are saying, well, now when I'm finished with these things that I can see, now I'm going to focus myself on things that I don't see. And based on what Paul is writing, you'll see why that's wrong, because this is intertwined, mixed all the time. You can't simply go to work with leaving your spirituality back at home so that once you're finished with the work, then you're going to be a spiritual person. I'll give you a very uh, interesting example Example uh, that I use sometimes at Newbold. So Paolo mentioned that uh, I work at Newbold, and before I started working as a chaplain, I worked there also of, as a dean of men or residential life manager, whatever you like to use. 
taking care of the guys who are living in the halls of residence at, at Newbold. So that is fun experience, I have to say, because when you have a bunch of guys who are there for a year, you see here experience a lot of interesting things. So sometimes our uh, team of cleaners, they would come to me saying, Danilo, we have a little bit of an issue. Some guys apparently don't know how to use the toilet brush. Now, I don't know if, if you had that kind of an experience, you go to the toilet and then you see very clearly that someone was there before you came in. So we had to have a bit of a conversation because there is this tool, and I'm going to refer to that as a spiritual tool, that people can use every time when they finish doing certain things in the toilet. And usually I would tell them this, guys, I know that a lot of you, you're studying theology. And you have much more important things to think about, writing your papers, studying the Bible, preaching the gospel and all of that. But this is also an important thing because you're not simply leaving your spirituality, your intelligence and all of that outside of this toilet. You're bringing all of that here and actually showing all of that by using this simple tool, the toilet brush. Now, why am I mentioning that? Because very often this is what we do in our life. We think that once we are done with these, I don't know, simple things, things that don't count, so to say, we don't have to include our spirituality, who we are actually in these things, right? So we can have a little bit of this, I don't know, freedom. But actually what Paul is saying, this is all mixed. In everything that you do, you're actually showing is this spiritual invisible reality part of your life, part of your real life or not? And this is very applicable for us. Some people would go to church and pray and sing and do all sorts of great things in the church. And then they would go home and they would abuse their family. Some people would be great with maybe giving money to the church so that maybe we can have mics that are working and stuff like that. But then they would be unfaithful, maybe even dishonest, maybe even committing fraud in certain financial endeavors that they have. You see, sometimes these things are so deeply engraved in us that we think that certain aspects of our life, they don't count because we have detached the invisible from visible. And this is why it's important what we, what we believe about what Paul is writing, what, what C.S. Lewis is also writing. Now, there are a few things in this text that Paul writes that I would like to emphasize how we can go through all of that. How can we deal with all of these things? Because it's not such a simple thing. And I believe that if you have this kind of an experience, this kind of a life, it's not an easy life, but it's fulfilling life. So what is Paul actually writing further? So there are three words that I would, uh, phrases actually, that I would like to share with you. If you like exegesis a little bit, I'm not going to go too much into that, but there is something very interesting when you go into certain words. So in 6.12, Paul writes about these ideas that Satan in a way is planting uh, so that he can trick us. And he's using this word methodeia. Wiles uh, translated, meaning schemes, strategies, tricks that he is using. Now, that word is so great that Paul is actually using here because one of the ways how he can trick us is that we can have this kind of disconnected life. So what Paul is actually saying, the devil is not going to always come to you in a visible form saying, well, now I want you to do this specifically so that you can go to hell in a way. No, it's rather going to be pretty much subtle 
And very often we are not going to figure it out because these ideas are slowly maybe going to make us live this kind of a detached life. So that is the first thing to have in mind that he is saying there is this war going on. Very often it's not visible, but rather it's very subtle and we are in danger in that kind of a way. Second word that he is using is the word for struggle, uh, Greek word palin. And what's interesting about this word is that it's not simply the war that is raging on and you have like the enemy on the other side, like, I don't know, hundreds of meters away, something like that, if you imagine war, and you're just looking uh, at each other to the crosshairs and all of that. No, the word that he's using actually is for wrestling. And the same word is used in translation from, from Hebrew to Greek to say that Jacob wrestled with the angel of God. So what Paul is actually saying here is that this fight, this struggle is very close. It's very physical in a way. It's not distant. And you, in a way, can't run away from that because the enemy is going to try to get to you and you have to fight it in a way. So this maybe sounds a little bit gloomy for now, but let me add the third phrase that is going to make you, I don't know, question some things even more. So Paul is actually saying that these powers, dark forces, there are, I don't know if you notice that, what's the place where these spiritual forces are. So if you want to look back in your Bible, verse 12, it says, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I want, to, I want you really to, to, to pay close attention to that. Where are these spiritual forces? Well, he says, in the heavenly places. Does that sound strange to you? Almost wrong. What are these demonic forces doing in heavenly places? When we know that Jesus says, well, Satan was cast down from heaven, you know, things like that. So there is something interesting that Paul is developing in Ephesians throughout the whole uh, epistle. And there are the verses, if you just want to check for yourself. Chapter 1, verse 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, and chapter 2, verse 6. So he starts actually in verse 3 saying that something is also in heavenly places. And if you check Greek, you'll see that it's the same phrase being used. So every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly places. Then he goes on to say in, in verse 20 that God put, uh, God put to work um, in Christ when he raised him from dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Christ is in heavenly places. And then he goes on to say in chapter 2 verse 6 and that he raised us up and that we are now with him in the heavenly places. So you have blessings that are in heavenly places. You have Jesus that is in heavenly places. And you and I, in a way, we are in heavenly places. And then you go to chapter 6 where he says that, well, these powers are also in the heavenly places. Now, what I believe that he's actually saying is that once you are with Christ, you have this kind of a new experience. You have this life of authority, of power, of this new existence that is defined as being in heavenly places. Now, does that really mean that you are now out of this world and you are out there, up there, whatever you want to imagine it? Well, no, you're still here, but it gives you different reality in life. 
Does that mean that there are no demons, there are no evil forces around you? No. What he actually is saying that when you are with Christ, you are with Christ, but amongst the demons. Now I know, this can sound very gloomy and dark when, when we present it like that, but this is what Paul is actually writing about. But there is also a good side of the story. There is good news. And this is what he actually says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And he says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made the public example of them triumphing over them in it. What actually Paul is saying here that, well, God has authority. Christ is victorious, triumphant, and he has exposed these dark forces. In what way? Well, in a way that he reveals what the real life is. That these forces can't give you joy, they can't give you love, life, any of these things. It's only Christ who can give you joy, love, life, and so on. So they're exposed. We know what they do, and we know who they are in a way. But we have to remind ourselves of these schemes, wiles, that sometimes it's very subtle. And in a way, if we live this kind of a disconnected life, disconnecting the visible and invisible, spiritual, material, and all of that, then we are entering the dangerous territory. But then Paul adds in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, further on, saying, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And then he is describing that armor of God. And I'm not going to go into that. I know that you're very, very much familiar probably with the armor of God. If you're not, read on in chapter 6. But basically what he is saying here is that the whole idea is that God gave you opportunity to have freedom. Freedom from these dark forces. Because once you have things that he is listening, faith, truth, righteousness, gospel, salvation, word of God, prayer, all of that. And let me emphasize this, because the armor is there to stay on you, that means that this should be part of your, our experience every single day so that we can go through this life in a real, meaningful way, connecting the visible and invisible. And this is the best way how we can live, how we can truly have this real life. So that means that everything is connected. When you go out to work, when you go maybe out tonight with your friends, whomever else, you're actually carrying all of this with you if you believe that this is true, that this is part of your reality. And that means that it's not time now for you to have the spiritual time with God. And once this is finished, well, now you're moving on with life. No, everything is connected. When you go to the toilet, when you go to the restaurant, when you go to visit your mom, dad, whomever else, this is always with us. So guys, there are four things that I want to say at the end. And I want to address four groups of people. And very often when we have these kind of sermons maybe, I'm just thinking about that. How does that resonate with every individual who is listening to this? And I think that very often we have these four groups that are responding in a different way. You might be completely in peace with this, saying, well, my experience is actually that I have figured this out. I live this balanced life, connecting the visible and invisible. And all the time I live in the spirit of God and everything is just being translated into things that I do, people that I'm socializing and all of that. That is always on. And I would say if that is your response, 
that's amazing. Just two things for you to think about. First of all, we always have to ask ourselves, is that really true for me? And I have to ask myself every time that, is that true for me, that I'm really connected and balanced all the time? And if your answer is still yes, then you have huge responsibility. And I would say this honestly, because I need to hear that from you and people like you, because we need to learn from you how to connect the spiritual and visible, how to live this kind of a real life. Second group is maybe you feel that you don't care about this kind of a topic, you know, like these teenagers in the school that I mentioned. No, this life is what I'm interested in, and I want to have a good time and all of that, and I don't want to think about the spiritual powers in the background and all of that. You might just say, I don't care, and that's fair. But I would just say that at a certain point in your life, you would get to choose. Are these ideas real, true, or not? And then to live according to that decision that you have made. There is also the third group that might be listening to all of this saying, ah, Danilo, this is just science fiction. I don't believe in any of these things, you know, the spiritual background and all of that. And that's absolutely fair. A lot of people don't believe in these things. I would just say, if you are maybe in this kind of a group, there is a certain challenge that I want to just place on you. And that is, well, what are you basing your life, your idea, perspective of life actually on? Is it something that has a justifiable authority to define what reality is for you? Sometimes we are like my, my niece, Mariana, having certain experiences and then thinking, well, that's true for the rest of my life. But sometimes we have to question those things. And I would just challenge you maybe to question those things to read the Bible, to try to have an experience with God, and then to see maybe if something else might shape your perspective. But there is this fourth group. And this group is actually what I find in the church very often to be a very present group, maybe even majority sometimes. And I feel very often that I'm part of that group. And I can tell you that today I feel that I'm part of that group. And this is for us who feel that we believe that there is this spiritual background. We believe that there is something that is defining our real, visible lives. But we are just not able to completely balance that. We are not able yet completely to live that, that we are comp uh, constantly living in this kind of a perpetuum, so to say, that we are spiritual in everything that we do, that we are not simply dedicating time in the morning or in the evening when we are going to be spiritual, but rather throughout the day, through everything that we do, Spirit of God is present in all of that. So if you feel that you're in that group, together with me, I have certain suggestion, and it has to do with worship. Now, we, had, we, we are still, in, have, still having worship now at this point. And I know that in a few minutes, uh, this is going to finish, the stream is going to finish, and you're going to continue doing whatever you're going to do. But I have this kind of a challenge for you, that you continue in this atmosphere, in this spirit of worship, throughout every moment in your life, at least in the next week. I'm, going, I'm not going to outline how you should do that because I don't think that you should go to work singing these songs all the time. But try to find a way slowly how God can 
somehow overflow from this hour of worship into everything that we are doing. So you'll see as, as the praise team starts leading this final song and as we are closing worship time, there is this idea that in all that we do, we need to praise him. In every single moment that we have in our life, in our life we are finding ways, fresh ways, how to praise his name, how to lift him even higher. I'm just going to invite you that tonight you're going to continue doing that. When you're with your friends, when you're watching the television, when you're playing games, when, do, when you're doing whatever you're doing, that you're slowly finding a way to remind yourself that God is still here with you, that you have not just this hour, but every single second of your life where the invisible is part of the visible, where your real life is completely connected with God, who is all in all. So, as we're going to praise Him now, I'm just going to invite you to con continue praising Him until the end of your life. Amen. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit LondonLiveChurch.com.